0: Spiders, big fat hairy tarantulas, that's mine. What's one of the things that gives you the heebie-jeebies? Home Alone did it for me. Buzz's tarantula just, oh. What scares you? Snakes. All right, same sort of Demographic? Super volcanoes. <laughs> <Super> volcanoes. <laughs> you have a past life in Pompeii, is that the... <laughs> Over the years, we learned to concern ourselves with a lot of scary things. Contagious viruses, clowns, dentists, some legitimate, others trivial. Other things we never take much time to consider. But today... Today is a chance for us to consider the scariest reality of all, God's wrath. Our sins expose the presence of God's wrath. Turn with me, if you haven't already, to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, early on in Paul's letter to the Romans, we are faced with God's wrath. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18, I'll read through the end of the chapter. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. How does a righteous God respond to man's unrighteousness? If God is right, like we said last week. If God is right, then how does he respond when we are wrong? Here's the first uncomfortable truth today. We are wrong. We are all wrong. And what is God's reaction to our wrongness? Wrath. I've said over and over again how much I love the repeated description of God in the Old Testament, in Exodus, in the Psalms, in the prophets Joel and Jonah, Time and time again, God shows himself, reveals himself to be gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. So, if God is gracious and merciful, doesn't that mean he's not a God of wrath? A few of us talked about this in our last book discussion. Notice in the description that I just gave of God that it says he's slow to anger. This means that he is gracious, he is merciful, but he does also get angry. He is patient, and that allows him to be slow to anger. But don't let his kindness and patience fool you. God gets angry. Okay, so what makes God angry? When we suppress the truth about who he is. When we fail to acknowledge his righteousness. Verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. God is right. His righteousness has been revealed to us. But instead of accepting that fact and living under that truth, we push it down, cast it aside. We hide it. We neglect it. We forget about it. All of us. Every single person, no matter what point in history, no matter where in the world, every single person is guilty of this. And every single person has no excuse for doing this. Look at verses 19 and 20. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. And the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. God's wrath is revealed from heaven to all of the earth, because all of the earth is without excuse. Brooke and I were asked to sub about a million times over this past school year. And it seems as though, for the majority of students, that when you have a substitute, almost all of the rules of the classroom go flying out the window as soon as the sub walks in the door. Now, of course, there are the goody-two-shoe kids who can't function without strict observance of the rules of the classroom, and they try to get other kids in trouble when, you know, all the other kids are trying to do whatever the other kids want to do. But of course, you know, in a Bible school, you would expect that there would be some Pharisees present too, right? (laughs) Okay, it's a joke. I love that school. But anyways, when those kids see me standing in front of them in the classroom instead of their teacher It's like a chaos bomb goes off, and most of them start acting like they're already on summer break, and I'm their grandpa who's supposed to let them do whatever they want to do. Sometimes I walk into these classrooms, and I have no exact reference as to how the normal order of business gets done on a normal day, and so I have no idea what is supposed to be happening. All I know is that this is not supposed to be happening. (laughs) So I'm left asking little Tommy if this is what they normally do. And I'm telling you, for 8 out of 10 of them, when I ask that question, they'll lie straight to my face and tell me a completely different story of how things are supposed to be done, even though they've been doing it every single weekday for the past six months. What are these wonderful students turned wild banshees doing? They are suppressing the truth. Though they know the right thing to do, though they know the authority that has been placed over them, though they know how they ought to respond to an adult in the room, they choose the path that they see is better. As humans, in the sight of the Creator God, are we no different? The truth that we suppress is self-evident truth. It doesn't have to be explained. It doesn't take years of study to acknowledge it. Or learn it. But though it may be simple enough to comprehend and understand, we still choose not to believe it. And not only that, we suppress it. We actively seek to hide it. We don't just ignore it, and that in and of itself would be bad enough. We cover it up. We lie to ourselves and everyone around us. Tell them it's okay to worship all of these other things. Our unrighteousness, our wrongness is displayed in our suppression of the truth of God's divinity and his eternal power in our exaltation of created things above the creator. So what does all of this mean? It means that we are without excuse. We have no defense. We stand condemned under the right judgment of God. His anger, his wrath, is justified. Well, isn't this all just depressing so far? But wait, it gets worse. Verses 21 through 23. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. It's easy to tell a stranger that they're wrong. People do it all the time. Social media, it's easy. It's harder to tell a friend that they're wrong. It's easy to argue from behind a screen. It's harder to lovingly rebuke a friend to their face. And it's really hard when they are determined that they're right, even when you know objectively that they're wrong. We all know what it's like to be wrong. Most people don't like to be wrong. You think you're wise, but really you're found out to be a fool. If ignorance is bliss, then willful ignorance is ecstasy. These are the lies that we tell ourselves. These are the lies that we believe, all of us, to varying degrees at various times in our lives. The knowledge of God means nothing. By itself, the knowledge of God means nothing and gets you nowhere. Actually, the one thing that the knowledge of God does bring is hell, because although we know God, we do not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Knowledge becomes damnation because of our selfish reaction to that knowledge. Sin is not just the bad things you do. Sin is also the failure to do the appropriate things. Honoring God, giving thanks to him. Too often, I fall into the trap of thinking that God just wants me to stop doing the bad stuff. And I have to continuously remind myself that he is worthy of honor and thanks in all circumstances. But instead of giving him the honor that he's due and thanking him for life and liberty, I give those attributes and feelings to creeping things, inanimate things, consumable things. I exchange the glory that he is supposed to get and give it to someone else. Isaiah 44, listen to this. Many of you may have heard this before. Isaiah 44, starting in verse 12. The ironsmith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals. He fashions it with hammers and works it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with a pencil. He shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into the figure of a man With the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow. Grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes a part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Also he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half he eats meat. He roasts it and is satisfied. Also, he warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my God. They know not, nor do they discern. For he has shut their eyes, so that they cannot see, and their hearts, so that they cannot understand. No one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, Half of it I burned in the fire, I also baked bread on its coals. I roasted meat and have eaten, and shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes, a deluded heart has led him astray. And he cannot deliver himself or say, is there not a lie in my right hand? To those of us who have been given eyes to see the folly in such ridiculousness, we immediately say how insane it is to be like this guy. Idolatry makes no sense at all. But if we don't see ourselves as having been saved from these very attitudes and actions... We have completely misunderstood just how hopeless and depraved we once were and still would be without the revelation of Jesus Christ in our mind and heart. To look at these ridiculous attitudes and actions and sit back saying how stupid these people are is to forget how stupid we all have been. It's like the pot calling the kettle black. I don't even know what that means because I've never even touched a pot or a kettle. But I'm pretty sure it means they're both black. Before we get any further in the text, I also think this is a good time to come back to the point that we are all without excuse. Everyone from every nation in all of history and in the present is without excuse. We are all rightly deserving God's wrath. And so every week during our worship gathering, we encourage prayer. Prayer for another church in our area and prayer for a different people group in the world, some that we've never even heard of before, like today, for many of us. One reason we do this is because there are people all over the world, like this dude I read about in Isaiah, who have been given over to the folly of idolatry and false worship. So we pray to the God that they have offended that he might open their eyes to see, their ears to hear, that they would understand the madness of their ways and turn back to God through Christ. These verses that we're looking at today are so important to understand. Every man, woman, child, who does not receive the gospel of Jesus Christ is left how we are going to leave this text today, without hope. So we pray things like Luke ten two. We pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out laborers into the harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. We can't we can't carry the weight of sin for them, but we can carry the message of the gospel to them. And if we irk and skirt around the opportunity we have to be sent on mission to proclaim the gospel and build up communities of disciples who are sent out on mission, then we are wasting our time. And sometimes I think our time together would be best spent just praying. The hearts of men and women have been darkened. And only the one who has darkened them can shine the light back into them. And this is where we come to the really difficult truth found in our passage today. In both Isaiah and Romans 1, it's made clear to the reader that God... That God has darkened our eyes and ears to see and hear and understand the folly of our practices. God has shut our eyes. God has darkened the understanding of our hearts. Three times we see in our text in Romans that God gives us up. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. So is God just giving up? Or is he now the one actively suppressing the truth in our hearts and minds? Look back at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. The wrath of God is revealed. Not has been revealed, not will be revealed. It is being revealed. It is active now. The wrath of God is not just some future judgment that is to come. The wrath of God is already happening. And the wrath of God is his judgment against us now in the form of condemning us to be trapped in this cycle of sin. Having fallen into sin, we are then trapped in sins. But I think we need to be careful even with the language that, like I just used there. When you hear someone say, I've fallen into a sin, it almost sounds like an accident. Right? But it's not an accident. Oops, I accidentally bowed down and started worshiping this tree. No, that's not how that works. You meant to do this. This was willful. You wanted to do that. You thought, I thought, for whatever reason, that this was the best option available to us. Don't act like you just fell into this or that these other people have just fallen into that. It's like falling in love. Ain't no little chubby fat kid in a diaper with a bow and arrow causing you to fall in love with that random lady or dude over there. Real love isn't something that just randomly happens to us. In the same way that sin isn't something that just randomly happens to us. Ain't no skinny little snake that can talk causing you to fall into sin. We don't fall into or fall out of these things, they are a conscious choice that you have made, that I have made, that all have made. And this conscious choice of false worship, of idolatry, has a consequence that becomes readily apparent. Sins. Think about it this way. People who truly follow the first two of the Ten Commandments have no problem following the last eight. Conversely, people who forsake the first two commandments are undoubtedly led to break the eight remaining just in case you don't exactly know what the first two are, or you just maybe don't know the order, you shall have no other gods before me, is the first one. When the Creator God is the only God in your life. And then the second one, when you do not worship any other created thing, when you don't make anything out of a carved image, and bow down and worship it, the first two commandments, you will have no inclination to break the other eight. You trust him, you worship him, you listen to him, you love him. Your affections are not drawn away into self-preservation, into overworking, into lying, into coveting. But when you do put other gods before God, when you do worship created things, you'll find yourself inevitably breaking the other commandments. You'll find yourself denying the created order. Everything gets flipped on its head. And this is exactly what Paul says. Verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So how do we dishonor our bodies? By denying the created order this isn't just about some Old Testament mosaic law. This goes back to Genesis 1 and 2. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So how can we deny the image of God in us? by actively denying the proper relationship between man and woman, by actively denying God's mandate to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth through sexual perversion. Verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Paul doesn't bring up homosexuality first because he thinks it's worse than all the other sins. He brings it up first because it denies the very foundation of the created order. And when you have no foundation, everything else becomes game. And God's wrath removes any restraint to the perversion in our lives which is exactly what Paul says next in verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They are filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, Haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. That's a long list. But realize in our text that all of these sins are not the things that bring God's wrath. All of these sins are a result of God's wrath. Our sins expose the presence of God's wrath. If we're going to have a proper view of God and a proper view of ourselves and a proper view of our situation, this is where it begins. We are subjects of God's wrath, as verse 32 affirms again in our text. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. We could spend a whole sermon going through the list of vices that I just read. We could spend a whole sermon in every verse or two in this text, and it would take us a while to exhaust the riches of the why and how and where of God's wrath. But as I've mentioned over the last couple weeks, when we started going through Romans, I want to make sure that we get the big picture in each section. Really understand Paul's arguments. In these verses, we understand why God is right to be angry. Why he is right to have wrath. God cares for his glory. God cares about his name. God cares about his creation. God is right, and we suppress that truth. So God reveals his wrath toward us. And that wrath, as it says in verse 32, culminates in death. We are wrong, and we deserve to die. We have thrown ourselves into sin and invited others to share in our sin. What hope is there against God's wrath? What is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but belong, body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you belong to Jesus Christ? Let's pray. God, your word is difficult sometimes. Your word is powerful. Your word is more straightforward than oftentimes we want to have to deal with. And so don't let us off the hook just because the sermon is over. Don't let us say, oh, I'm glad that that's in the past. But God, give us eyes to see that your wrath was pointed toward us even. But it's only through your Son, Jesus Christ, that we have found hope. It's because he took on your wrath on our behalf that we have been declared forgiven, that we have been declared righteous. And so help us To see that as we have been saved from your wrath, that there are those around us all day who are still under your wrath. Who are still experiencing the consequences of your wrath. So help us to not be silent. God, we need your spirit to give us boldness, to help us to remember to have compassion on those around us who have not understood your grace. God, open their eyes to see as we speak the truth to them. Open their ears to hear. Open their hearts to understand. Shine the light of the gospel in their hearts as we proclaim it to them. Open their hearts to receive it. So God, give us boldness to proclaim it but we need you to do your work to actually make it effectual. Help us to be a people who depend on you for this, who remember what we have been saved from, not just our sins, but from your wrath. We thank you for your grace toward us. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.